For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Well, here we are talking about the resurrection. We started last week this series on the resurrection, and this is going to last until the first Sunday in May. We talked about the resurrection last Sunday, and we we showed how the Bible establishes the resurrection of Jesus Christ as a fact. The whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 is devoted to the subject of the resurrection. And one of the things that you and I need to understand about the resurrection is that this is really the foundation of our faith. It is in all of our creeds. So I wanted to show you this picture. This picture is actually what we would call an icon. And if you look at the top there, it says the Agia Pateron, which is the Holy Fathers of the Church. And the Holy Fathers are holding the uh, Nicene Constantinople Creed of 381 AD. And at the very center of it all, you'll see a guy with a crown on. You'd think that that would be Jesus, but it's not. It's Constantine, Emperor Constantine, who proclaimed that Christianity would be the religion of the Roman Empire. So just look at me for a moment. Uh, What I want you to understand is that there have always been creeds, and a creed basically is a statement of of what we believe as Christians. If you're going to be a Christian, then you need to agree to this statement of faith or this creed. Uh, Creed comes from the word credo, which simply means your beliefs. So right from the start, the, the church fathers recognizing that there were heresies floating around, that there were misunderstandings and misconceptions about who Jesus was, they decided that they needed to establish a creed, a statement that says, here's what we believe. And some of you may be familiar with the Apostles' Creed, which was written in 150 AD, um, just a, just a, a little over 100 years after Jesus ascended to the Father. We recognize that that. In these creeds, it safeguards the church against heresies such as the Arian um, uh, heresy which said that Jesus was not 100% divine. It was Athanasius, some of you may have heard of him. Athanasius, they used to say, Athanasius contra mundum, Athanasius against the world. Everybody was agreeing with Arian, or Arius, it said that there was 
that Jesus was not in fact divine. But, but Athanasius says, yes, indeed, he was divine. He's 100% God and 100% human. And of course, once this was established, this was enshrined in a creed. So we understand that in this creed are the key doctrines, the important doctrines of the church. What we're talking about today is the important doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we talked about that last week, you'll remember. We, we talked about what, what some scholars believe is the first creed ever spoken. And, um, and here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses three to eight. Christ, and if you have your Bibles, open them and turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Sorry, I should have told you that. From now on, every Sunday when I start the message, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15 until we get to our next message, all right? So here we are, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 8, the first, the very first creed. Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, and we said that that was important to enshrine that in a creed because the Old Testament actually prophesies the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then verse four, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, and then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to the Apostle Paul. So this is a very first creed, and you can see the importance of this creed, folks. Listen, because this is the fact, this is the proof that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. This is the first statement of, of, of our belief system. Now, look at this. The first Christians probably knew this phrase, knew these verses by heart. The Apostle Paul, just before he gives this statement, he says, for, I, I, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. So this is something that was passed on from believer to believer. This is something that you need to know, and it's something that you should mark in your Bible so that you can refer to it. Next time, next time somebody challenges you about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you can say, well, I can prove to you that Jesus was resurrected from the dead because of the multitude of eyewitnesses. That's what you're gonna tell people, I can prove it. And any historian would say this is ample proof to prove that this is in fact the truth and not just a myth or hearsay. The Christian, the true Christian, understands that this is essential if you're gonna be a Christian. So this is why it's included in the creed. Paul says to, to the Roman Christians, Romans 10, 9, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is critical to your faith. This is the thing that determines whether or not you are in fact converted. I was amazed, you've heard me say this more than once, amazed to read of this pastor in, in Ontario who calls herself an atheist, but for some reason she still feels she needs to, to be a pastor. I, like my, it just doesn't compute, I don't understand this. But she somehow believes that she can be a pastor. Meanwhile, the Bible is clear. You can't be a Christian if you don't 
actually openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, can I just throw something in here? There's, this is, this is some extra information that's at no additional cost to you. You'll notice that Paul says that we need to openly, openly declare that Jesus is Lord. These three words are one of the simplest and the earliest creeds ever given to us. It was given by the apostle Paul. Jesus is Lord. This was a creed. It's a, it's a creedal statement. And if I, I think that right now all of us could memorize this. Do you think, Carolyn, that as a former Sunday school teacher, do you think we could memorize these three words, Jesus is Lord? Let's sit together. Jesus You'll notice that on many, uh, many churches will have that phrase, uh, and the World Council of Churches actually uses that, that phrase, Jesus is Lord, as their tagline. Whether they all believe it or not, I'm not entirely sure, but understand this, that, that this is critical. Okay, so we've just kind of gone over uh, old ground. We've gone over that last week. The interesting thing about the Corinthians is that they had no problem believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They, they believed that. That wasn't a problem. They saw the evidence, all the eyewitnesses. It was a sure thing as far as they were concerned. The problem is, is that many of them didn't believe in their own resurrection. They had no problem believing that Jesus would be resurrected, but they had a hard time believing that they too would be resurrected. So here's what we're gonna do today. We are going to look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the proof that we too will be resurrected. Here's what Paul is saying now in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 28. He is saying that because Christ rose from the dead, we also, who are believers, will rise from the dead. In fact, the two go together. So we're gonna learn together today how this is so. So let's look at this. We will be resurrected. First Corinthians chapter 15, looking at the first two verses of this passage. Paul is addressing this skepticism that has invaded the church. He says, but tell me this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying that there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. So the apostle Paul is saying they go hand in hand. They go together. They stand together. We will not be resurrected if Christ has not been resurrected. And, and if we're not resurrected, then Christ was not resurrected. Paul, Paul is tying these together tightly. He's saying this is, this is not negotiable. So we know that Christ was raised from the dead and we too shall rise from the dead. Now, why is it that the Corinthians were struggling to believe in the resurrection? And I'm gonna tell you, right? Ready for this? This is why it's so important that you know your Bible. This is why it's so important that your mind, that your heart is being informed by the word of God and not the ideas of human beings and the philosophies of human beings. Listen. We are being bombarded every single day by the ideas and the philosophies of this world. Does everybody understand that? We are being bombarded by it, especially our kids in school. They're being bombarded with the philosophies of this world. It's critical, first of all, that we are in church 
every Sunday or at least listening to the message through live stream. It's important that we're hearing the word of God, but more importantly, it's important that you know the word of God yourself. So the poor Corinthians, they're under this false idea, this false notion that Christ was resurrected from the dead, but they would not be. This is the ideas of humans. And you and I need to make sure that we do what we can to hear what God has to say. Now, there's all kinds of notions about this. There's all kinds of ideas about, about what happens when people die. And maybe you're sitting here today, and you're wondering the same thing. What happens when I die? What happens when my family dies? Some people believe in what's called soul sleep. And that means that the body dies, disintegrates, and the soul or the spirit will sleep until the time of the resurrection. There's a lot of people that believe that, in fact. A lot of people call themselves Christians. It's, a, it's a, one of the things that the Seventh-day Adventists believe in. Jehovah's Witnesses believe in that. And there's also uh, a number of Reformed uh, theology uh, theologians that believe this. We do not believe in that. Remember what Jesus said to the thief that was on the cross beside him. You remember that? Suddenly the thief at the side of Christ hanging on the cross believed in Jesus and said to Jesus, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus said, this day you shall be with me in paradise. No soul sleep. He was immediately ushered into the presence of Almighty God. Then there's the materialist view, which simply says, and this is what so many people believe today. Richard Dawkins is one of them, and there are many, many. They believe in what we would say, would call utter, distinct, uh, utter um, uh, extinction or total annihilation. They say that nothing human or physical or spiritual will survive after death. Once you're dead, it's over. You are fertilizer. You are worm food. And then there's others who believe in what we would call the reincarnation. Many of you are familiar with that. They, the thought is that you die, you come back as, a, as a, an enlightened or greater human, and if you finally reach enlightenment, then uh, I don't know what happens to you, but in the meantime, there's this, there's this endless cycle, and the hope is that you'll be a good person on this earth so that when you die, you don't come back as a beetle or an ant or a cow. This is why in India you can't eat cows because you might be eating one of your relatives. <laughs> you might be eating grandpa, oh no. Many people, many people, it's surprising how many people believe in reincarnation. Another view is what is called absorption, which means when the body dies, your spirit then goes, or part of your spirit goes to be reunited with the divine energy of the universe or with God or whatever. And then there's what the Corinthians probably believed. It was what we call dualism. Dualism was something that, that was uh, propagated by Plato and, uh, and Seneca and a, and a number of Greek philosophers. They believed, watch this, they believed that the body was evil and that the, the, the great hope is that our spirits would be released from our bodies and that our bodies would perish and that would be the end of it because the body is horrible it's, it's an evil thing. The Gnostics believe that. Many, many, many Christians surprisingly believe that, that the body is an evil thing. This is, look at this. This is why in Acts chapter 17, 
the Apostle Paul goes to Athens and he doesn't have a lot of luck there. Things just don't seem to work out for him there. He, he's at the Areopagus or, or Mars Hill. Some of you may know it. I've been there a number of times. It's a, just a natural open space where the philosophers would join together to discuss the latest ideas of the day. And the Apostle Paul went there to, to share with them about Jesus Christ. And they were intrigued by what he was saying. They were listening to him. I mean, it was very intriguing until he got to the point about the resurrection. When he talked about the resurrection, they suddenly began to sneer at him. That was when the spell was broken, as it were, and they were no longer interested in hearing what what he had to say. Why is this? Why were they not interested? Because in their mind, the body was evil, and the last thing you want is for that body to be resurrected. Now, some of you today, you're thinking, well, actually, I kind of agree with that. The last thing is, I don't want this body resurrected. This body has been nothing but chaos and trouble for me. Anybody like that? You think, my goodness, this body, I've had back aches. That's why I'm sitting today, by the way. I've had back aches. I've had foot problems. I've got autoimmune problems, and the list goes on and on. And you think, oh, I can hardly wait to be rid of this horrible body. Well, that is exactly what the Gnostics, this is exactly what dualism was all about. And the Corinthians believed that. They believed that the body was a tomb, a corpse, that their souls were shackled to this body, and the best thing that could ever happen was to be released from the body. Well, I'm going to tell you, this is paganism. This is totally contrary to Scripture. Because when God created us, you know what he said about us? He declared that we were not just good. When he created humans, you know what he said? He said, they're very good. Your body is precious. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians in another place that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is not your own. It belongs to God. He created you, and your body belongs to him. You are created in the image of God. What does that mean? It means you bear his image. It means that you are his servant, reflecting God to this crazy, broken, and hurting world. No, listen, to, listen. your body is sacred. It's a holy thing. It belongs to God. And that is why it is, it is such a horrible abomination to God that we as a culture are aborting little babies. If you look back in history, you'll see that every nation that aborted babies, God removed them from the face of the earth. He destroyed that nation that destroyed its babies. Why? Because every child is an image bearer of God. How dare we destroy these image bearers? That's what a baby is. That's what a human is. And so listen to me. You may look at certain people who have sinned, who have failed, who've fallen short, messed up their lives, their life is a disaster, and you may think they're hopeless, they they deserve what they get. I want you to know something right now. Every human being is precious to God. I saw, as I was researching, I saw a picture of a, an inmate who had a tattoo on his head, 
was, it was like a red stamp and it said reject. He came to that place in his life where he believed that he was a reject, he was useless, he was good for nothing, he was, he was the scum of the earth. Listen, that may be the way the world looks at humans, and that may be the way we sometimes look at humans, and the way we may look at some of the people in our lives that are letting us down. But I'm going to tell you right now, they are created in the image of God, and there is no rejects. They're loved by God, and they're precious to God. And it's for this reason, it is our responsibility to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that gospel includes the resurrection of this body that is mortal right now. Our body belongs to God, it's a temple. Now the Bible's clear, Jesus tells us very clearly, very easily, very early in his teaching, that there will be two resurrections. Here's what he says in John chapter five, verses 28 to 29. He says, indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's son and they will rise again. So listen, folks, everybody is going to rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life, and those who have continued in evil will rise to experience eternal judgment. I gotta point something out to you right now, because I know that some of you are maybe wondering about this phrase, those who have done good. We've just completed about six months in the Sermon on the Mount, and some of you are thinking, oh, I gotta try to remember all those things, those good things I'm supposed to do so I can be a, a good Christian. Can I just remind you of something? We need to understand what Jesus means when he talks about doing good, because there's a lot of people who have this false notion that the way that you're gonna go to heaven is by making sure that you you have done a lot of good. So when you get to heaven, God's gonna get the scales out and say, wow, Alan Duncalf, you did a lot of good. You're in, buddy. No, that's not how it's gonna work, and we all know that. So what does Jesus mean here about doing good? Well, what we need to do is we need to look at God's definition of doing good. What is God's definition of righteousness? Let me point to you, uh, point you to, Abraham, Father Abraham. We used to sing that song as kids, Father Abraham had many sons. Remember that song? Had many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them. I had no idea what that was talking about. I'm sure that the camp counselor had no idea what that was about. I don't think that the spiritual guide had any clue what that meant, and neither did the director of the camp. And I just figured it out myself after I went to Bible school. What does it mean that... that Abraham is my father and that I'm one of his children. I'll tell you what it means. Watch this. Abraham is at home with his wife, Sarah. They're sipping a cup of tea, having a scone with whipped cream and strawberry jam. And uh, Abraham doesn't know how to start this conversation with Sarah. And all of a sudden, he just dives into it. He says, dear, we're leaving town. And Sarah begins to laugh. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's a good one, Abraham. No, no, really, we're going, we're, we're leaving town. We're le where are we going? Well, that's a good question. I'm not entirely sure. 
Oh, yeah? Well, are you feeling all right? What makes you think we got to leave? Are you, do, do you have debts that, were you gambling again? What, what's going on here? Why are we leaving town? And Abraham says, well, you're not going to believe this. God told me to. <laughs> That's right. God told us that we need to leave town. Well, Sarah now is really quite upset. I mean, I have to pack my household, and Abraham, what about all the servants and the livestock? And this is not a small thing. This is a big thing. It's not like we can call Allied Moving Van, and it's not we can call the packer. This is, Abraham, we have to do this ourselves. Abraham, the Bible says, believed God and did what God said. This is where we get the definition for faith. You believe God, believe what God says, and then do what God says. That's what faith is. Now watch this. Abraham believes God, and I don't know if he dragged Sarah kicking and screaming or if she was in agreement with this, if she was in favor of it, I have no idea. But we do know this, that somehow, some way, Abraham got Sarah out of town with the servants and all their belongings. Watch this. The Bible declares that because Abraham believed God and did what God said, God counted that as righteousness, as doing good. Listen, every time you and I believe God and do what he says, the Bible calls that righteousness, doing good. You do not get into heaven by doing good works. Good works is the evidence that you believe God. It's the evidence that you trust the Lord. That's why you're doing the good works. But the good that you do in this world is you believe God and do what he says. Now, in Abraham's time, what did, what did Abraham have to do? He believed God. God said, get out of town. And then there was another thing God asked of Abraham. Abraham, sacrifice your son Isaac. Abraham's all ready to do it. Thank God he hasn't asked me to do that. Or you. But he has asked us to do something. Did you know that? What has God asked you and me to do? I'll tell you. No, I'll let Jesus tell you. Jesus says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Abraham was told to get out of town and sacrifice his son. By the time we get to the New Testament time, Jesus, God tells us to believe in his son and that is what God counts as righteousness. Those who have done good, those who have believed God and done what God says will rise to experience eternal life. And those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. Can I just tell everybody what evil is? Because whenever we hear evil, we think of Hitler and Stalin and Pol Pot. The people who are evil in this world are people who do not believe God and will not do what God says. That's what evil is. Every time you refuse to believe what God tells you and you refuse to do what God tells you, this is what evil is. And where did it all start? Does everybody remember where it all started? With Adam and Eve. 
God gave them instructions the same way he gave Abraham instructions. You know what he said to Adam and Eve? You can eat anything in this garden except from that one tree. Don't go near, don't touch it. He didn't say don't go near. He just said don't eat the fruit from that tree. And of course, you know what Satan does. He zeroes in on that one thing. And Adam and Eve, rather than believing God and doing what God says, did you see that? Believe God and do what he says. Rather than having faith in God, they chose not to believe God and they chose not to do what God said. Satan says, you won't die. You can eat it. God's holding out on you. Because if you eat, he, God knows that if you eat the fruit, you'll become like him and God doesn't want that. And then the next thing you know, we're like, yeah, hey, God, what's, what's this about? I thought you loved me. I thought you cared about me. I thought you wanted the best for me. I thought I was a king's kid. Why can't I have whatever God says I should? And, and, and then away we go, choosing to do evil instead of doing good. Wow. You and I, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we do we believe God and do what he says, we will be resurrected into eternal life. Now, what happens at the end of time? What, what happens? Well, the first thing I need to point out to you, because Paul answers some, some questions for us, because we all have questions about the resurrection. In verses 13 to 19, the question is this, what if there is no resurrection? And in these verses, if there's no resurrection, then Christ has not been raised from the dead. If there's no resurrection, then our preaching is useless. In fact, it's meaningless. It's gobbledygook. You're wasting your time. What are you here for? What are you, why are you here listening to this stuff? Because if there's no resurrection, it's a waste of time. If there's no resurrection, your faith is useless and meaningless. If there's no resurrection, all the witnesses all the prophets, all the preachers, all the teachers, and Jesus himself is a liar if there's no resurrection. Paul says if there's no resurrection, we'd all be still in our sin. You would still be holding that heavy, heavy burden of sin. Hey, do you remember when you became a Christian? That moment you put your faith in Christ and God washed your sin away, it felt like, like the load of the world was lifted off your shoulders. I remember when I, when I became a Christian, I felt like I could fly. But I'll tell you, if there is no resurrection, then I'm still stuck in my sin. If there's no resurrection, all who died before us would not be raised unto eternal life. All my loved ones that have gone before me. No resurrection, I'm never gonna see them again. And Paul then ends this little discourse, if there's no resurrection, then you and I, we're the most pathetic and pitiful people there are on the planet, believing a lie. But we know that the resurrection is real. We know Jesus was raised from the dead because Paul has established that in the first 11 verses. We know that creed. Well, how do I know I will be resurrected? Well, the, the, Paul, the Apostle Paul answers that question. How do I know? Well, Paul says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. I know I'll be resurrected from the dead because Christ was resurrected from the dead. This is why the Apostle Paul begins this chapter 
by telling us that Christ was resurrected from the dead. There's no point talking about your resurrection until we establish and know for sure that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. That's why we went through that process last week. But because he's resurrected, you and I know we will be resurrected. Because Jesus was resurrected, we will be. You know what we call this? We call this our blessed hope. It's my blessed hope. Would you say that with me? My blessed hope. I told you last week, some of the people I'm gonna see again because I know that they are with the Lord and because the resurrection is a sure thing, I know I'm going to see them again. This morning, I was looking over to the left here and there was, there was Charlene and Rhonda who last, lost their dad 19 years ago. It was one of the saddest, saddest times that I can remember. But under, under, the underlying fact of the matter is, is that even though they are separated from their dad for a short while, we're gonna see him again. And, and Trish texted me this morning thanking me for the reminder. Paul says to the Thessalonians, because everybody's got this question, How do I know I'm gonna be resurrected? To the Thessalonians, he says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. I can tell you, I've done a lot of funerals in the past 40 years, and I'm gonna tell you, there is nothing sadder in this world than a funeral where the people have no hope. I I have experienced some of the greatest grief in my life with families who are not sure, where a family member has, has made it very clear, I want nothing to do with God. I will not put my faith in God. I will not do what God says. The hopelessness is so thick, you could cut it with a knife. It's, 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 it chokes you, it's so, it's so thick. You can hardly breathe. It's so sad. But those of us who believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, those of us who put our faith in Christ, we have this blessed hope that even though we're separated for a short time from our loved ones, we will see them again. It's not forever. It's for a short, short, short time in compared with eternity. We may be separated for a while, but we'll see them again. We'll mourn for a little bit, but we will not mourn like people who have no hope. We have that blessed hope. We have Jesus Christ. I know some of you are wondering, well, Jesus came and died on the cross and he paid the price for our sin. Why do we die? Why do we die? Why doesn't God just put an end to it, like right now? Well, here's what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 to 22. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. And then Paul explains what he means by that. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Adam and Eve. These are our first parents. They sinned. And because of their sin, guess what happened? We inherited their sinful nature. We call this, this is the doctrine of sin, original sin we call it. And every one of us is by nature sinful and self-centered. Would everybody say amen to that? 
Some aren't sure about that. I wouldn't say I was selfish. I wouldn't say I was a sinner. I mean, do the, make the odd mistake, but I wouldn't say I was a bad person. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. If you can't get your brain around the fact that you are a sinner in need of God's grace, I don't believe you could ever be converted. You need to know who you really are. You are somebody who needs a redeemer. You are somebody who needs a savior. His name is Christ Jesus. If you put your faith in Christ Jesus, then you shall be made alive. Hallelujah, you'll have eternal life. We were born into this world because of Adam, but through Christ we are born again. And we die because of sin. We're gonna talk more about that in the days ahead. Pastor Alan, when will we be resurrected? Well, here's what Paul says. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. In other words, he's the first fruit. He's the very first one ever resurrected from the dead. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. So there's the order of things. When Christ returns, we will be given our resurrected resurrection bodies. Sometimes it's called the glorified body. Now, um, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that resurrection body. No more pain, no more sickness, no more, uh, I can't read properly anymore. <laughs> I got back aches, I've got, I got pain here and I got a pain there. Ernie Mary Craker used to call it the organ recital. Every time they're out with the old people, everybody telling all their organ problems. <laughs> I got my kidney, my liver, my heart. We're gonna be given a glorified body. What is, that, what is a glorified body? I'll tell you what it's like. Remember when Jesus rose from the dead? Jesus was now in his glorified state. This is called his glorified body. Now watch this, this is really cool. Paul says to the Philippians, Philippians 3.20, we will be like Christ, immortal. What did Jesus do when he was resurrected from the dead? All of a sudden he appears on the road to Emmaus. He appears to his disciples. Remember that? The disciples were downhearted. They were discouraged. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus comes up beside them. They didn't recognize him right away because they weren't expecting him to, to be alive. And Jesus starts explaining to them, don't you understand? Are you so thick? Oh, you of little faith? Jesus, don't you remember he said he had to die, but he would rise again? And all of a sudden, their eyes are open. They recognize they're talking to Jesus, the resurrected Lord. And then he disappears, and he appears over there, and then over there. That's, that's his resurrected body. Thomas is in his, all sheltered in there with the disciples, doors closed, shutters are closed, they're paranoid, they're worried. Christ, their, their master has died on the cross, he's been buried, they're hopeless. And Jesus, in his glorified body, just walks right through the, right through the door, right through the wall, as it were, you say, well, that's impossible. How can that be? Hey, folks, listen. This is the glorified body. This is the resurrected body. This is a body that is not subject to a three-dimensional world. Jesus obviously has access to a fourth dimension. But this is in the glorified body. 
Does he have to eat? No, he doesn't have to, but he can. And he sits down with his disciples. He says, let's have breakfast. This is like, can this really be happening? Jesus, we saw you crucified. We saw you nailed to a cross. We saw you put in a tomb. And now we're having breakfast. This is wild. But this is the resurrected Jesus. And this is the resurrected body that he has. And it's a resurrected body that you and I will have. And folks, for those of you, I've heard this so many times. I don't know why people keep saying this. But some people have this notion, this idea that when we, when we rise again, when we're given our resurrected bodies, we won't have the same relationship with our loved ones. And I say, poppycock. Of course you will have a relationship with your loved ones. In fact, it'll be better than you ever had on this earth. You will see your loved ones again that have put their faith in Christ. You will see them again, and you will have relationship with them, and you will love them, and you will commune with them, and you will fellowship with them, and you will enjoy them again. Do you know that in, in this body is a blueprint for your resurrection body? So you're going to recognize your loved ones. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I hope that I don't, my hips aren't quite as big as they are on this earth. <laughs> I hope my, 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 a little bit smaller here and maybe a bit more buff. I, you're going to have resurrected bodies that are going to be perfect in every way. You're going to recognize each other. You're going to know each other. You're going to love each other. And most of all, you're going to love each other together in the presence and at the feet of Jesus Christ. This is our great and blessed hope. Pastor Sean, what about what happens after the resurrection? Well, here's what Paul says. He says, then comes the end. So when Jesus, when Jesus returns, we will be resurrected, and then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every ruler, every authority, every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And of course, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And we talked about that last week, didn't we? One of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible is Revelation 19. When Jesus, who is called the rider on the white horse, appears. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the conqueror of all that is dark and all that sets itself up against Jesus, against Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. He comes victorious, conqueror. He will conquer Satan and all his deceiving rulers, authorities, and powers. This is what is to come. And we will live eternally with God, free of all the influence of Satan. Adam and Eve experienced the influence of Satan in the Garden of Eden. Do you know that the Bible begins in the Garden of Eden and it ends in the Garden of Eden? You read it yourself. You read the last couple chapters of of Revelation. Begins in Eden, ends in Eden. It begins in Eden where Satan is allowed to tempt Adam and Eve, and it ends in Eden where Satan is destroyed, never more able to tempt us or to draw us away from the Father. This is our blessed hope. And we who are in our resurrected bodies will worship at the throne of God forever and ever. Never ever to roam, never to wander, never to sin, ever, ever again. Somebody say hallelujah. Never again. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more shame. It's all over. 
It's done with, it's finished. This is our glorious hope. Johnny Erickson, some of you may know her. I'm going to end with this. She dove into Chesapeake Bay, July 30th, 1967. She misjudged the depth of the water, and her head hit a rock, and she was instantly paralyzed from the neck down. She became a quadriplegic. She prayed. She asked God to heal her. She had faith healers come around and tell her she would be healed. People had word of prophecy, word of knowledge. She had all kinds of people telling her she was going to get better. And she said, I was tempted to believe that God hated me, that God had forgotten about me. Until she realized one day that what happens on this earth is not the final word. What happens on this earth, that's, this is not the end. It's not the end. It's the end of the beginning. But the beginning comes when we're resurrected. Here's what she says in her own words. She says, somewhere in my broken, paralyzed body is a need, or is the seed of what I shall become. I believe that for all of us. In us is the blueprint for our, our glorified body. She says, the paralysis makes what I am to become all the more grand when you contrast atrophied, useless legs against splendorous, resurrected legs. I imagine Joni Erickson seeing herself running through heaven, rejoicing. I'm convinced, she says, that if there are mirrors in heaven, and why not, she asks, the image I'll see will be unmistakably Johnny, although a much better brighter Johnny. That's what heaven will be. When Jesus comes at the end, he will usher in a new heaven and a new earth. Verse 28, then when all things are under his authority, the son will put himself under God's authority so that God who gave his son authority over all things will be utterly supreme over everything, everywhere, forevermore. This is our glorious hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you today. Let's stand as we pray. Father, thank you today for the glorious hope of heaven, of the resurrection. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus is recreating a new heaven and a new earth where we will live with you forevermore in resurrected bodies, sacred, holy, and set apart to serve you for eternity. Oh, Father, we pray right now, fill our hearts with peace, with assurance that we are in your care and in your hands. Thank you that your spirit is at work in us, helping us to believe you and do what you say. Father, thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Amen. Tell the person beside you, I'm gonna be resurrected. <laughs>